So it is Thursday, my name is Philip DeFranco, and this is part one of today's two-part Thursday Philip DeFranco show. I'll be uploading part two to this channel in two hours, so if you're here before part two exists, just come back to make sure you don't miss it. Not only should you be subscribed, but you should tap that bell and make sure it looks like this so you get all notifications, not just some. Or if part two is already up, it'll be the top link down below or you can click or tap right there. But with that said, welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. Buckle up, hit that like button, and let's just jump into it. So the first thing we're gonna talk about today, I know there are some people in this audience that dislike when I talk about Jake Paul because they hate Jake Paul, which in part is why I'm including this story today. So since the, the last time we talked about Jake, you know, remember, there were people that were accusing him of looting and destroying property in Arizona while other people were looting and destroying property in Arizona. You know, it was pointed out on video that someone handed him a stolen vodka bottle, so a lot of people were focusing on that. Since we covered that, Jake Paul released a video that people could not comment on or rate, where he, uh, it's always hard to say someone apologize when they make themselves out to be the victim in the video. Already acknowledges that he should have left, but then he talks about how he was an easy target, you know, because his name Jake Paul. And also in this apology, non-apology video, he tries to raise money for Black Lives Matter. But the big update we got this morning is that Jake Paul has now been criminally charged in the state of Arizona. And like I said, I don't believe that he was looting. I also don't believe the police believe that he was looting. And that's because he's only been charged with criminal trespassing and unlawful assembly. According to reports, police said he entered and stayed inside the mall after it was closed. The mall closed at 5 p.m. The incident began at 10 p.m. With Scottsdale police saying they received hundreds of tips and videos identifying Paul as a riot participant. Looking at the charges, he could face fines as well as up to four months in jail for that trespassing charge and up to six months for that unlawful assembly charge. However, uh, while looking at the situation, it doesn't look like he's had any previous convictions against him. Right, so that could play a role in what happens to him, any potential jail time if he were to be convicted. So there is that. Now, a, a thing I do want to note if you're like, yes, justice, these charges are two misdemeanors and Jake Paul is incredibly rich, so it would not surprise me if this kind of goes away. But if there is something that I could add to this, and maybe this is kind of to Jake, maybe it's kind of the people around him, maybe just people in general because it's kind of the group sometimes that has to keep people accountable. Jake, stop making yourself out to be the victim in this situation. I agree with something you said in your video, that, that past mistakes should not be what defines you, but you have shown yourself time and time again to be an egomaniacal, selfish asshole who seems to not learn from his mistakes or show any desire unless it makes them appear good, Shane Dawson video, and then you throw away that goodwill and reveal yourself to be who you really are. And I hope who that person is genuinely changes, but it will not happen if you just deflect in moments like this. But that's my words on this, and of course, I pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts on this? And then let's talk about the coronavirus, because you know I, I've seen these memes since Wednesday where people were like, oh, the protests start, and just like that, coronavirus went away. And well, no, it hasn't. So let's talk about the coronavirus, new cases of it, and how it's related to both states reopening and the protests that we're seeing. So on Monday of this week, we saw the United States report over 21,188 new cases in one day, according to Johns Hopkins. And while this is slightly lower than, though basically on par with last week's daily average of 21,294 cases, we are seeing a general trend of daily averages increasing. Right in between May 26th and May 28th, the average was 19,800 new cases, and that went up to 21,700 new cases per day. Right so with this, you have some people wondering, well, what is causing this spike? And we saw some places quickly thinking that it was the protest causing the spike, like with this ABC News update, which was widely shared online. But the thing to remember is that these nationwide protests have only been going on for about a week or so, and that virus has an incubation period of up to 14 days. So that's why you have people like Mark Schreim, a public health researcher at Harvard, telling The Atlantic that he anticipates a spike related to these protests. But we will not see it for 10 to 14 days, meaning that Monday's figure of 21,000 new cases would likely not be because of these protests. 
protests. And in fact, in some places, experts are not anticipating that the data on these cases will reflect the protests for even longer, right? with NBC Los Angeles saying that in Southern California, county health department data may not show a surge for three to four weeks. Right? So understand, I'm not saying that the protests will not cause a spike. I'm just saying that the increase that we're seeing is not because of the protests yet. So one of the questions connected to this story is, well, what is the root of this recent increase? And it appears that the, the timing works out in a number of these places where we're seeing new cases that it's likely tied to local governments reopening. For example, Palm Beach County in Florida showed the biggest one-day increase in coronavirus cases three weeks after reopening. And while the South Florida Sun Sentinel says that it may be too soon to tell if that's the cause or if it represents a random event versus a resurgence, the main thing is no matter the reason, the average number of cases has been rising, and that is not the only place. States like Texas and Arizona, which have also been reopening and ending stay-at-home orders are also seeing increases. And actually, in Arizona specifically, reports indicate three weeks after the statewide stay-at-home order was phased out, Arizona has one of the fastest-growing coronavirus caseloads in the country, up almost 70% since the order expired. And the thing is, we've seen a number of experts saying that we should expect for people to start playing the blame game in a few weeks. With Julia Marcus, an infectious disease epidemiologist at Harvard Medical School, telling The Verge, what I fear will happen, particularly in those states, is that any increase in cases in the next couple of weeks will be blamed on protesters, even though there are multiple things happening at the same time. Once again, with these protests, even though you do not see it yet, there is a strong chance that down the line we will see new cases tied to them. Now, specifically regarding these protests, we do have some health officials saying that because the protests are outside and because many attending are wearing masks, the risk is minimized. But since things like social distancing being nearly impossible in a lot of these crowds, not everyone wearing masks, the fact that a lot of the masks that people are wearing are cloth masks, and that's more for you not to spread it to others. And also other things like tear gas making people cough as much as it does. There, there are factors that could easily easily aid the spread. Which kind of brings us to the next two points, which are what do health officials have to say about protesting and why do some people think it is worth the risk? And the thing is, even though doctors know that these events will likely lead to cause more cases, some do support them anyway. With a computational epidemiologist at Boston Children's Hospital telling The Atlantic, I personally believe that these particular protests which demand justice for black and brown bodies that have been brutalized by the police are a necessary action. Structural racism has been a public health crisis for much longer than the pandemic has. Other doctors tweeting things like, the threat to COVID control from protesting outside is tiny compared to the threat to COVID control created when governments act in ways that lose community trust. Right, and so a lot of the reasons we're seeing people and experts saying that it is worth the risk, it comes down to what these protests are about. You know, obviously people are demanding justice for George Floyd and for an end to police violence against black Americans, but also for an end to racial injustice of all kinds. And you know, even with the coronavirus, we've talked about this before, black Americans are facing a higher death rate of the coronavirus than white Americans. In DC, where 46% of the population is African American, they account for 75% of the district's deaths. In Wisconsin, and where less than 7% of the state's residents are black, which honestly is 6% higher than I thought it was, they total 25% of the state's deaths. And there are numerous other states and cities with the same problem. This is also something that even Dr. Mike has touched on, saying in a video yesterday. So many black communities are out there protesting because they have to. At a time of a pandemic, where they're not only putting their lives on the line because of police injustice, but also because of this virus. And COVID-19 has already dramatically and drastically affected communities of color disproportionately in comparison to other communities. And as for why this virus impacted black Americans more, there, there are actually numerous reasons, right? Black Americans are more likely to have underlying conditions like high blood pressure. They're also more likely to be uninsured, more likely to be undertreated for things like pain, or more likely to be denied access to treatment and testing. And on top of all of that, throughout this pandemic, black and Hispanic workers have been less likely to be able to work from home, thus increasing their exposure to the virus. Which is why you have people like Minneapolis activist Mike Griffin telling Bloomberg, Unless we are out there protesting, right, in the streets, 
We can either be killed by COVID-19 just as easily as we can be killed by a cop. We also had Julia Marcus going on to say, ultimately these protests, if they bring us any semblance of progress in terms of structural racism, they will have had a positive impact on public health, not a negative one. But still on the other side of this, you had Surgeon General Jerome Adams talking to Politico saying that while he understands the anger behind these protests and why people are out there, I remain concerned about the public health consequences, both of individual and institutional racism and people out protesting in a way that is harmful to themselves and to their communities. There is going to be a lot to do after this, even to try and get the communities of color back to where they need to be for people to be able to recover from COVID and for people to be able to recover from the shutdown and to be able to prosper. But this is also just why if you're going to go to the protest, you need to do your best to be safe. Wear a mask and keep it on, bring a backup if you can, wash your hands, drink water, distance where you can, and do everything you can to reduce your exposure. Wear long sleeves, long pants, gloves, limit touching, and then limit interactions with others to prevent further spread. And so with this story, I, I wanna pose some questions. Do you believe in this instance, the need to go out, be heard, to protest, to cause change, currently outweighs the risk of COVID-19. And whatever your answer is there, do you have the same or a different opinion when it comes to the protests that we saw a few weeks prior when it came to states reopening? Yes, no, why, why not? Are they drastically different in your eyes or similar? I'd love to hear from you in those comments down below. And then let's talk about former Defense Secretary James Mattis and the absolutely scathing and important statement that he made about President Trump. Mattis, of course, Donald Trump's first Defense Secretary, a position that he held until he resigned in December of 2018 in protest of Trump's policy on Syria. And since then, Mattis has mostly remained quiet about Trump, refraining from criticizing him. That is until yesterday, and I guess he was saving it because he said in a statement to The Atlantic, I have watched this week's unfolding events angry and appalled, saying protesters were fighting for equal justice under law and adding, it is a wholesome and unifying demand, one that all of us should be able to get behind. We must not be distracted by a small number of lawbreakers. Right in there, hitting on the note that a lot of people have been pointing to, to the outliers, the, the looting or the rioting, and using that to, to muddy the water as it comes to peaceful protesters. Mattis also saying that he swore an oath to support and defend the Constitution, but never did I dream that troops taking that same oath would be ordered under any circumstance to violate the constitutional rights of their fellow citizens, much less to provide a bizarre photo op for the elected commander in chief with military leadership standing alongside. He then goes on to slam Trump's threat to deploy the military to states that don't respond to the protest the way that he wants them to, writing, we must reject any thinking of our cities as a battle space that our uniformed military is called upon to dominate. At home, we should use our military only when requested to do so on very rare occasions by state governors. And there, Mattis is referring to remarks we saw from Trump and Defense Secretary Mark Esper earlier this week on a call with governors where they said, You have to dominate. If you don't dominate, you're wasting your time. They're going to run over you. You're going to look like a bunch of jerks. I think the sooner that you mask and dominate the battle space, the quicker uh, this dissipates and, uh, and we can get back to uh, uh, the right normal. Then a little later, Mattis goes on to note that the Nazi slogan in World War II was divide and conquer. And the American response was in union, there is strength. With Mattis then using that reference to segue to this very notable moment, Donald Trump is the first president in my lifetime who does not try to unite the American people, does not even pretend to try. Instead, he tries to divide us. We are witnessing the consequences of three years of this deliberate effort. We are witnessing the consequences of three years without mature leadership. And adding, we know that we are better than the abuse of executive authority that we witnessed in Lafayette Square. We must reject and hold accountable those in office who would make a mockery of our constitution. All right, so very important words from someone who is formerly in a great position of power, who Trump, I mean, we're gonna get to it in a second, constantly 
praise. But of course, following this, we saw President Trump responding how he often does. Tweeting, probably the only thing Barack Obama and I have in common is that we both had the honor of firing Jim Mattis, the world's most overrated general. I asked for his letter of resignation and felt great about it. His nickname was Chaos, which I didn't like, and changed to Mad Dog. His primary strength was not military, but rather personal public relations. I gave him a new life, things to do and battles to win, but he seldom brought home the bacon. I didn't like his leadership style or much else about him, and many others agree. Glad he is gone. Right, and so with this, you had people responding and saying that in addition to Trump's very questionable claims about a highly esteemed general, he had also made two blatantly false statements in those tweets. The first, of course, is that he fired Mattis. Numerous officials have said that Mattis resigned on his own accord in protest of Trump announcing that he was withdrawing troops from Syria and abandoning allies. Right, and there was never any question about that or if Trump asked for his resignation. And the second false statement is that he changed Mattis's nickname from Chaos to Mad Dog. First off, Chaos was Mattis's military call name, not his nickname. And second of all, it's been reported by multiple outlets that Mad Dog was given to Mattis years before Trump took office. But in addition to those two very clear lies, we also saw a lot of other people pointing out how contradictory Trump's tweets are here compared to previous statements that he has made about Mattis. We are going to appoint Mad Dog Mattis as our Secretary of Defense. Jim is a Marine Corps four-star general. I have a general who I have great respect for, General Mattis. General Mattis is the living embodiment of the Marine Corps motto. Semper Fidelis. Secretary Mattis has devoted his life to serving his country. He led an assault battalion in Operation Desert Storm. I think he's a terrific person. He's doing a fantastic job. Mad Dog plays no games. He's a man of honor, a man of devotion. The American people are fortunate that a man of this character and integrity will now be the civilian leader atop the department of defense. It's almost as if the truth does not matter and the only thing that does is loyalty. But a thing to note here is that while Trump singled out Mattis in his tweet storm, Mattis is not the only prominent military official who has criticized Trump's threat to deploy the military to states. Earlier this week, we saw two former Joint Chiefs of Staff chairmen speaking out against that threat, the first being General Martin Dempsey, who wrote a tweet on Monday saying, America is not a battleground. Our fellow citizens are not the enemy. Hashtag be better. And the second was Admiral Mike Mullins, who wrote an op-ed in The Atlantic that was published on Tuesday, where he wrote, I have to date been reticent to speak out on issues surrounding President Trump's leadership, but we are at an inflection point. Later going on to say that we must address the police brutality and injustices against African Americans as well as defend the right to peaceful assembly. And adding, neither of these pursuits will be made easier or safer by an overly aggressive use of our military active duty or national guard. The issue for us today is not whether this authority exists, but whether it will be wisely administered. And adding later, furthermore, I am deeply worried that as they execute their orders, the members of our military will be co-opted for political purposes. We also saw General John Allen, the former commander of American forces in Afghanistan, making a similar argument in an op-ed in Foreign Policy where he just really goes after Trump for his speech, but also added, right now, the last thing the country needs, and frankly, the US military needs, is the appearance of US soldiers carrying out the president's intent by descending on American citizens. The thing is, it's also not just former officials who have openly opposed the move. I mean, just yesterday, we saw current Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper, say, the option to use active duty forces in a law enforcement role should only be used as a matter of last resort and only in the most urgent and dire of situations. We are not in one of those situations now. I do not support 
invoking the Insurrection Act. And there, I would note, if you didn't watch part two of Tuesday's Philip DeFranco show, we talked about the Insurrection Act there, but if you're unfamiliar, it's a law that would let Trump deploy troops to states under certain circumstances, and that is a huge deal. You have the current Secretary of Defense directly saying that he does not support what Trump wants when it comes to the military. But then, that said, we also see on Wednesday, Esper reversing an earlier Pentagon decision to send active troops deployed in DC back home. Instead, opting to keep some in the Capitol with him reportedly making that decision after a meeting at the White House. Which some people say that it shows that he's kind of somewhere caught in the middle and others claiming that he's spineless and he's resorting to Trump loyalty over doing what he thinks is right. Now, all of that said, while it is incredibly significant that we're seeing so many military officials speaking out against Trump, of course, there is another side to this. There are also people that support the move to deploy the military. People like Republican Senator Tom Cotton, who yesterday wrote an op-ed for the New York Times titled Send In the Troops, where he gave examples of the military being used in the past and also writing. The rioting has nothing to do with George Floyd, whose bereaved relatives have condemned violence. On the contrary, nihilist criminals are simply out for loot and the thrill of destruction, with cadres of left-wing radicals like Antifa infiltrating protest marches to exploit Floyd's death for their own anarchic purposes. One thing, above all else, will restore order to our streets. An overwhelming show of force to disperse, detain, and ultimately deter lawbreakers. The local law enforcement in some cities desperately need backup. Now also, a note here is that op-ed and the decision to even publish it got a ton of backlash. People just massively pissed at the New York Times. There's even dozens of their own writers, reporters, editors, and magazine staffers publicly criticizing their employer by sharing the same tweet. Running this puts black New York Times staffers in danger. With others also condemning the op-ed, uh, one reporter even pointing to a, one of Cotton's claims, right, noting that something that was allowed to be published in this op-ed is something that's already been debunked by the Times itself. But we also saw the editorial page editor defending the decision to run the op-ed, saying we understand that many readers find Senator Cotton's argument painful, even dangerous. We believe that is one reason it requires public scrutiny and debate. But also, the anger appears to also be with the audience, because according to a Slate article, according to one employee, Senator Tom Cotton's column has netted the Times its highest ever number of cancellations in a single hour. Right, and so with that, I think you could say, well, some of the viewers, they, they're just allergic to different things. But this specific part, I think it comes down to a, a massively ideological debate, right, a debate around giving your platform to potentially amplify something that is horrible. Right, but the counterbelief to that is if you put the truly horrible in the sunlight, it will disinfect it. Which in addition to the story about Mattis, Trump, the Insurrection Act, Esper, in addition, I'd love to know your thoughts on this debate because it, it's, it's just very disgusting and weird times. Like, what is life right now? And that is where I'm going to end today's show. Also, remember part two of today's show will be up about two hours after this video, so come back to the channel or just check the description down below. It may actually already be up. And as always, thank you for watching this video, liking it, sharing it, being a part of that conversation in the comments down below. Also, if you're new here, you wanna make sure you don't miss these daily videos, especially because I know we've been posting more sporadically. Not only should you hit that subscribe button, but also tap that bell so it looks exactly like this. All notifications. We jumped from 7% of the audience to 12% of the audience last week, so thank you. That's literally tens of thousands of more people making sure they don't miss the news. Also, if you're looking for more to watch, maybe you missed yesterday's news video, or maybe you missed the, the podcast you want to escape with Hank Green, click or tap right there. But with that said, of course, as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces, and I'll see you next time. I hope you like the video. Subscribe if you like it.